iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everybody and welcome to The Ruck. We hope you're all keeping safe and well. And we do sense the frustration out there that so many of you, men and women, boys and girls, fans, parents, players of all standards, are not getting the full rugby fix. We can be your representatives for a little longer. Uh, Your panel are used to now uh, going into deserted stadiums, often because we've gone to the wrong ground, I must admit. If you go to Yokohama, remember there's a baseball stadium that looks just like the rugby stadium. Stay with us today. We'll be talking rugby from all four of the home nations. It is getting huge in Europe. The panel, Lawrence is not with us today. Uh, obviously a sad loss, but at least the rest of us still have hair. We're joined by that great columnist and Grey Fox, Stuart Barnes, the twin towers of Time Sport, Owen Slot and Alex Lowe. My name's Stephen Jones. Next weekend, we've got Agincourt 2, the sequel. Racing or Racing against Saracens in Paris. What a story there was in that fixture coming together. Exeter Chiefs against Toulouse in Devon. And in the Challenge Cup, two crackers. Bristol Bears at home to Bordeaux Begla and Toulon at home to Leicester Tigers. That's the lineup. Owen, you were in Dublin. How Saracens got there is a little epic all of its own. Yeah, it, it was an extraordinary day. On, on this Indian summer, they managed to serve up the, the coldest day in the history of Dublin, I think. What, why, why is the Aviva always so incredibly cold? Anyway, that's my own, my own private little complaint. It was, um, uh, that aside, it, it was a, a day of epic proportions. We even managed to get a Guinness in the pub beforehand. Have to sit outside, mind you. Can't go into pubs in uh, Dublin anymore because of the second lockdown. And, um, uh, and Maro Itoje and the rest of the Saracens team were pretty decent as well. Uh, Stuart, um, from that game, it, it struck me that in terms of the, the preparation, identifying what had to be done and the execution by Saris, it, 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 it mimicked for me the semi-final of the World Cup win. When New Zealand, England against New Zealand, got it perfectly tactically and in terms of execution. Was it of that standard uh, for you? It was. It reminded me of the World Cup, uh, the way England outsmarted New Zealand in the semi. But also, Steve, the sheer power of South Africa in the scrum against England in the final. Some of the old truisms in rugby always come back. And sometimes they come back and they help you, like they did Saracens. Other times... They bite you in the bum. Leinster were a little bit like, uh, dare I say, England in the early days of Stuart Lancaster. 
and I can recall being on the halfway line in the commentary box saying, why are England trying to play so much rugby between the 10-metre line and the halfway line? They're getting nowhere. And all these years later, I was watching Leinster from the coziness of my living room shouting exactly the same. And Saracens knew what they had. They had a set piece. They had a territorial game. They had a press. And Leinster, I'm thinking, they're so micromanaged that their players are just trying to go through this vast pattern just like England used to. Be simple, be straight, give your team power, and you can have the direction. I felt that's what England had in the semi, South Africa had in the final, and Saracens had on Saturday. Alex, uh, you all all front rowers uh, love talking about scrums, but did you foresee in that game that um, Saracens, who obviously went for, um, for Leinster up front, Leinster was with a, with a great scrummaging record. Did you foresee that Saracens would get anything remotely like that, that advantage up front? I, I thought there was, a, there was a chance, not perhaps of that, of that level, but without Ty Furlong uh, in, the, in their starting front row, just slightly weakened their, their overall package, particularly with the bench. Vincent Koch is, a, is one hell of a player, as, as we know. And the thing about Mako was... We know he can do it, but he'd been out for a long time. But there is a, he does have a track record of, of coming back from injuries and delivering you know, sometimes 80-minute performances of, of the highest order. That was one of the things about Saracens. If you read a lot of the previews in, in Saturday's edition of, of the Times, there was a sense of surely they can't do it. But this is, this is Saracens we're talking about. There is, there is something about the way that they, they can turn up on the biggest occasions. And I thought that was epitomised by... Mako Vunapola coming back from a long time out and playing the way he played. Vincent Koch, Marrow, as you mentioned, Michael Rhodes. You know, they, so did I foresee it? No. But was it, you know, it, it was definitely there for them to, to deliver because they have done it before. And, and that was what was so impressive about that scrummaging performance was it was just, it was so total and united. And those, those two props were, were sensational, I thought. Can I just go back to um to what Barnsley was saying? I, I guess maybe we get onto the, this anyway. But Barnsley, you you and Steve, you, you both um pretty clear on your views of, of um Stuart Lancaster in his days as, as the England head coach. What you're suggesting is you you felt that this was a day. I mean, I, I thought that the Saracens coaching team got it really really spot on. But was it was this a, was this a day when you thought that that uh, that Leinster and and Stuart Lancaster in particular? You said he was. They were playing it. That it was the same faults that they had in the old England days. I mean, is that where, where you think part of the problem arose? Yes, I do. But it's not just where they play. It's it's how they coach. I thought they were micromanaged. Saracens are clear. They're macromanaged. They know where they want to play. They know where they want to do. Now in uh, New Zealand, in the last World Cup, they got very clever in how they were mixing their back row. They got very clever in what they were doing at ten and fifteen, and. Guess what? They lost their shape. South Africa, they played a simple game. Guess what? They kept their shape. I thought that there's no doubt at all, Steve, that Saracens showed that rugby is still an essentially straightforward game. And you want coaches to wind the team up, to make big decisions and send you out and say, play the game. And, and I think McCall does that brilliantly. Oh, and just going back to you and uh, anyone who read your excellent account this morning in The Times... You set it in a wider context. You, you, you made it more than a rugby match a win or a rugby match defeat. Uh, you quoted Richard, Richard Wigglesworth, who said, maybe we had to do it the hard way. 
maybe that way proves that what we built is true. And that's the, some of your theme was, this was a justification, or at least it was an indication that Saracens in their hearts, in their team, felt that what they'd done was valid. I think this is just a, a huge and, and um, fascinating sports story that goes beyond who's winning and who's losing. W- whatever you think of what, um, what what Saracens did with the salary cap, whether how right or how wrong, sorry, how wrong you thought it was, or uh, whether you thought it was an, an error or, or intentional cheating or whatever, the point is that the, the players, I always thought, and I was wrong, I thought that the players at some point would 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 put their hands up and go, listen, we didn't sign up to this. Listen, this, we wanted to win these trophies uh, clean and now, we're, now it looks that we didn't. It, it looks like their legacy was false, et cetera, et cetera. I thought that they would lose heart with their club. Then the, cl- then the club starts having to shed its, some of its players to get under the cap. And this is a club that has always, 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 it, its big thing is it, it looks after the players. We all love each other. They use the word love a lot, which um, is kind of, was kind of new to rugby until uh, till they came along. And, but suddenly they're discarding players. That's not looking after your players. I thought the thing would start to crumble. But Saturday's game against Leinster was the ultimate exhibition of the complete opposite, where they showed quite how tight they were, how in fact what's happened has, has made them more determined to prove something. What they want to prove is, yes, we were the best in Europe, we were the best in England, uh, even w- without having to fiddle the books or whatever you, whatever you might think it was. They, they just wanted to prove that they could do it. And I think that's what drove them on and what made them, uh, makes them just an extraordinary story at the moment. Well, I differ with you. I don't think they did shed players. I mean, they've got eight players out there who are all actually influencing their teams where they are with typical Sar- Saracens values and play. And uh, they, had to, they were in the second division. And that's why they had to ship players out because obviously you couldn't keep them all happy. But apart from Ben uh, at Scrum Half, I think that's the only player who they really wanted to keep who they couldn't keep. I mean, and I think they'll all be, the the, the eight who left will be back next year. And um, it, it, I mean... Well, Alex, hang, on um, hang on a sec, Steve. You've got Liam Williams, Will Skelton, George Cruz, Schaltberger was going to go anyway. Ben Spencer, as you say. I mean, the, the, these are these are serious players, aren't they? That was the whole of their second row well, from their. Uh... As Mark McCall said, there's no point in Will Skelton coming back because they just couldn't pay him in Division Two. He was offered a three-year deal. It is, it is in my opinion, and obviously we always, I always go back to, uh, you know, we, everyone jumps on what the judge said and the and the punishments and all that. I always go back to the fact that the judge categorically said there was no intent, deliberate intention to mislead and to break the cap. So you you must always go back to that. It is simple as that. I don't think we need to go back into that argument because we disagree on that. But um, I think well, is that the, the reason why we do have to go back to it? I, I think. Well, I think no. The the point now is that is that there is that they have uh, risen above everything that was chucked at them and showed that they're still arguably the best in Europe. They're now in the best four in Europe. Alex, they've um, expended a lot of energy, um, Saracens, this week, a lot of mental energy, psychological energy in trying to get where they are and trying to prove themselves to other people. Can they build on that? Often a a huge one-off leaves you tired for the next challenge. Do you think they can crack on? It takes us right back to Tokyo again, doesn't it? And an extension of that that Rugby World Cup uh, comparison the whole week of the World Cup final, all, all the conversations were, can England hit those heights again 
emotionally can they be as accurate um, and and technically as, as as sharp as they had been against New Zealand they weren't able to plus they came up against the Springboks who had their own sort of higher level of motivation it's it's going to be the fascinating question of, of the week I just think we're at a point where if it, any doubters and there were a number of us out there who thought this was a step too far for them I think Zarasons have just proven you you just can't write mm. them off and you know that they've spent a long time preparing for that one game can they regather all their resources and their emotions and go again against a, a team as dangerous as Racing are? Uh, I, I would say yes, they can, because we have evidence of the fact they have succeeded in doing it before. And they have a core number of players who are out in Japan who will have experienced what happened between South Africa, between New Zealand and South Africa, and will understand what it will take for them to go and do it again. We're all uh, lauding, um, or everyone lauded Maru Toji for yet another game. But just before I go on to Stuart for a last word on, on the game, I just think Jamie George is now up there in terms of leadership, world class. I, think, I thought he had a fabulous game. But Stuart, um, as a student of, uh, of Leinster, and uh, you were just talking about the way they're coached, etc. Johnny Sex is now 35. One or two of them looked a little bit long in the tooth. Some are certainly not playing well. I, I think Robbie Henshaw have always rated just not been himself lately, possibly nor Ringrose. Is this the end for this particular Leinster team? Not if they want to win Pro 14s. They've got a great squad and they've got good players and their strongest team there. If they want to be the best team in Europe, then the rebuild it has to start. We're at the same stage with Leinster as Ireland are with uh, Andy Farrell. And I felt that Farrell was very slow to make his move in terms of Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton, and I think that Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster have got to be very quick and decisive in what they want to do. If they want to say we are a great Pro 14 team, then none of us can dispute that. Three wins on the trot, it's fantastic. Their European achievements are magnificent. Are they a great European team? Well, let's face it, you know, Leinster had 23 players. They were able to bring the bench on when they had problems. Saracens were down to the bare 15 almost. They brought people on when the big guys ran out of steam. In Dublin, that's not a a heroic win for Saracens. That's a hammering. If Leinster have 15 or 16 players against Saracens 15 or 16, it wouldn't have been an eight-point margin. It would have been 15 points. What Saracens overcame a sensational um, problem, which is the 15-man against the 23 game. And to me, Steve, above all else, that's why it was such a great win and such an overwhelming win and why Leinster must look at themselves and say, we were really taken to the cleaners. Owen, oh, you were just back in time to see the Exeter Chiefs game. We saw Northampton give it the kitchen sink and they, they really did. But was the point about that that they singularly failed to, to really disrupt the Chiefs and that the Chiefs are now looking really, really strong? I think the Chiefs won that not playing at their best, so they've got another level to go up. I, I found Northampton stirring in one sense in that they played better than we'd given them credit for beforehand, but I also found them, found them frustrating because they had a lot of possession. They had a lot of red zone possession, as we call it, and, and a lot of their problems has been converting that into points. So 
I would have really liked to have seen Dan Bigger dropping back and hitting drop goals or taking a few more penalties because the amount of um, uh, driven mauls they, they rolled over were few and far between. If they'd done kind of a Saracens and got that, that scoreboard ticking over, then maybe they might have scared Exeter a little bit more because I don't think Exeter ever thought they weren't going to win that game. So, so just to follow up, uh, Owen, was that the first time you'd ever mentioned Timon of Athens in a rugby report? <laughs> <laughs> Very good, honestly. I'm really impressed by that. I looked, it, I looked him up. I then looked up Shakespeare. Apparently, he was a major dramatist <laughs> on stage. Alex, um, Exeter for you. They've always said they're not, they're, they're not full of stars. Actually, no, they are full of stars. Really, are they on the right road? Owen mentioned that they weren't quite as good as they as they normally are. But what a fantastic time against to lose at home to to, to find your proper form. I mean, absolutely. It's the fixture that they have been building towards for for a number of years. I spoke to Rob Baxter last week before this game, and almost you know about that journey. And uh, while they've been reaching Premiership finals for four years in a row, they've been frustrated in Europe. They've been inexperienced, naive sometimes. And he talked about bringing in Johnny Gray and Stuart Hogg as the missing pieces, slightly outside of their usual recruitment policy. In fact, I mean, way outside their usual recruitment policy, which is to unearth some sort of unpolished diamonds. Um, these two are you know, uh, frontline internationals. Both may well go on the Lions tour next year. And they, they come in and they, and they just, they just lift, lift the quality of, of the squad. But they're still driven by those players who, who they, they, unc- they uncover. And, and they just, it does feel like they're on the right road. They were going to win that game comfortably from the start that they didn't I think I think uh, Rob Baxter said something like they dominated the only area they dominated was the scoreboard which is which is true uh in the sense that Northampton did battle hard they're building they'll need to peak next week because because Toulouse will be will be a real threat but they just have they have a team ethic they they all they understand how they play they recruit players that fit into that system and you know they're now I guess all the work they did in terms of stepping stones, they, they've been at the top of the Premiership for four years, really, in terms of reaching the final. They're now taking that next step. First, first European semi-final, home to Toulouse. It's, it's exactly, what you, exactly what they've been building towards. Does anyone know at, at Exeter, does the Otter still come on at half-time, even when there's no crowd there? Because I think that's maybe why they were slightly off colour yesterday. It's a good question, actually. Anyone know? Don't know. I wonder if, has the Otter's part been increased since they got rid of their mascot? Maybe he's now the new mascot. Let's promise that we'll just we'll we'll inform our listeners of that next week because <laughs> that's a quite an important thing that we've um that we've we've neglected to uh, to know. Well, Stuart Exeter briefly, and then we're going to go on to the French clubs because you suggested this morning that uh, with Toulouse, for instance, they're not absolutely hundred percent as great as some of us think they think they might be. So your great. your verdict on Exeter first. You, you can't judge Exeter's European aspirations on that game. They played an English team that they beat with ease. They had an English referee. It was effectively a game that they know. Next week is the acid test against a French team who do things differently and probably won't be an English referee. These are the problems where they've fallen in the past. You know, I, I wouldn't, I'm not knocking Exeter on yesterday's game. I just thought... It, as a former player, it's a sort of match when you, your second team have won at the away ground and your first team have scored 50. You sort of think, yeah, we're going to win. And Baxter's attitude, it was almost like this was a game. We were always going to struggle to dominate, but not to win. So it, from Exeter's point of view, Steve, it, it's move on. And what are they moving on to? I think they're moving on to a, a 
massive against an improving Toulouse side. But I do think that rustiness was a major issue with Toulouse yesterday in an easy win against Ulster. And I also think that that third game that they've had now since their lockdown ended uh, will make a big difference next week. I thought the forwards were old-style French, very lumpy, uh, didn't get around the pitch. I, I think Exeter have to play at pace. They do that, they'll ask questions. But I do watch this Toulouse team play, Steve, and I think they've got four European Cup finals. That is going to count. They know how to win semis. It's bred in the bone. And in uh, Antoine Dupont and Chesden Colby, they have got two of the best rugby players on this planet. And if Exeter play a tactical kicking game, uh, Colby could kill them. And if they're not very tight around the fringes, then that scrum half, Dupont, is going to create mayhem. I think it's going to be a brilliant game. Exeter will need to, and I expect them to be better to lose. I'm almost sure will be 25-30% better team. Steve, can, can I just also, sort of following up Stuart's point about Toulouse having a couple of, of world-class players, one of the things I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing with Exeter is Henry Slade up against some of the best teams in Europe. Because I think he was, he's playing some wonderful rugby. He's su- such a multi-talented player. He looks in control of everything he does. His skill set's fantastic. But I, I also feel we've never quite seen the best of him on the, on the international stage. I just think him up against Toulouse next week is one of the areas that um, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing him against some of the best in, in the club game because he is, he's, he's such a talent. And I'm, I, I, I feel like maybe he's beginning to believe in himself more and therefore flourish. So, yeah, that's one of the areas I'm excited to see. I'll just echo that. I thought Henry Stade had a beautiful game yesterday and has become a wonderful player. Oh, in these two, these two French teams, uh, Stuart said Toulouse are big lumps. Racing are also big lumps, and I wasn't that impressed by the pace at which either of those teams played the game. Do you think there are shafts of light for the two English teams against these two giant French lo- uh, outfits? With Racing and Saracens, you have to remember that Racing actually could and should have knocked out Saracens in the group stages. They, what's, have you just eaten a... What's going on, Jones? Are you... <laughs> i got all ink all over my hands. <laughs> For anyone who can't see this, which is everyone apart from us us four, this has turned into a horror show. Joe's just been eating razor blades. <laughs> he's got blood tumbling out of his face, but like a true Saracen, he's marching on. You can't, you can't knock that man down. Hey, anyway, listen, what I was going to try and say something sensible. Saracen's only just got into the quarterfinals. Um, they had to beat Rassing uh, in the last round of the group stages, and they had a uh, Will Skelton sent off after 39 minutes or something. So they have no right to be here, but uh, uh, Rassing will remember that. They'll remember a team that dealt them the blow that day. On that particular game, I kind of I'm coming back to um, what Barnsley was saying earlier. Saracens are a 15-man side, and they're playing against a 23-man Racing. Now, Saracens got away with it last week, and everything about rugby and logic and what we know says they can't do it again. But um, Saracens defy logic, so who knows? But Racing should have them. 23 players against 15 is not an equal match. It was um, amazingly uh, uh, how. I mean, when Racing played against um, the Stade Massa-Michelin on the weekend, they looked decent, but there were long periods where they wavered. Amazing that Finn Russell at number 10, the the great Scott, 
had very, very little influence in the game, Stuart, because as usual with many French teams, they played it all off nine. Your, your, your latest love child, Teddy Iribaran. If you, it looked to me, if you can get hold of, ter- of uh, Teddy, you can shut the whole lot down. You could say that about French rugby. If Exeter get hold of Dupont, they'll shut them down. French rugby plays off nine. Uh, and, and Teddy Irebaran is a very fine player. His goal kicking was magnificent. It closed the game out. But I think they were in control of that game very early. And what was impressive was the fact they always looked as if they knew they were in control. Uh, and I felt, Steve, that as with Toulouse, they were idling in third gear. And, and Russell comes into his own when they want to step the pace of the game up. That brings back a tower into it. Teddy Thomas will probably be back on the wing. He need to be because they had a couple of wing injuries. But I think we'll see a different pace from Racing. And also, as Slotty said, I think they'll remember losing at Saracens and, and that will incentivize the performance. I'm not right with Saracens off, but from a distance, it will be an even bigger achievement if they go to Racing and win, especially now that Racing have got that third game under their belt and are looking very strong. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Um, there are many combinations or the interesting combinations for the final obviously the France v France wouldn't be the greatest one English one French would be good what about Saracens versus Exeter in the final every time you come back on my screen you've got more ink on your face I know. It's, it's, it's on my face now <laughs> it's all yeah. over your face yeah okay. permutations for the final I mean gosh Exeter Saracens would just be the ultimate for, from an English perspective and given the narrative that we've We've been discussing already on this pod, and yeah, they're still the two best teams in England, even though one of them is at the top and one of them is at the bottom. It would be, Stuart just said, remarkable if they could go and win at the Aviva, win in Paris to reach the final. Um, Saracens, I, I think I'd say Exeter have a have a better chance for me of of getting through, and you know, one English, one French team in in the final. You know, Racing Exeter final would, if I had to lay money, would probably be where I'd lay it. Oh, in um. This will be one of those weeks before before you name your winners for this weekend in the semi-finals. One of those weeks where surely we will feel the absence of spectators most savagely because you've got two brilliant games here, magnificent games. One homely, smaller stadium, one brilliant stadium. We, we'll really feel the pinch this week with our fans. Do we not expect to get 5,000 into the um, Racing's U Arena or La Defence Arena or whatever it's called this week? I, still, um, I think they're still thinking about it. Yeah. Still thinking about it. But, but, but still, that's, that's, that's not the, um, the, the twenty five or 30,000 or whatever they can get in. Having watched, uh, I think I've been to six premiership games now and I actually got um, accustomed to the lack of crowds. I mean, it was not, not saying it was... It was okay, but it, but you kind of got used to it. But then going to the Aviva at the weekend, I mean, I, I just felt if ever there was a game that needed 
uh, noise and backdrop and and deserved it was it, it was that one I, I felt it was a just a huge shame that there was no one there that there was none of that sort of orchestral backdrop to um to kind of tap out the soundtrack to, to the match oh I'm sorry to put you on the spot but could you give us your two likely winners please yeah I think um Racing will beat Saracens for the reasons I've just said and I just think that Exeter have have, have got this in them um, and we'll go up a gear and we'll beat Toulouse. Stuart? Racing, I, I really want to be wrong and I, I try and be neutral, but I find myself overwhelmed by Saracens and their commitment. But I think they're going to take a week, probably won't be enough to get them right for this one. Psychologically, physically, it's tough. I go Racing, I think they're a very strong team. In Devon, really don't know which way to call it, Steve. Exeter are playing well. But until they have their big moment against a European giant, we don't quite know whether they can translate it. And I think Toulouse will be ready. It's one point either way. I could see it going into extra time. I'm not, I'm not walking the fence here, Jonesy. You know, I, I like to sort of come out one side or the other. But I, I just think it would be crazy to say Exeter or Toulouse because I really don't know which team will win. I cannot believe it. You sat on the fence for the first time in your life. I demand an answer. 80-minute draw. How about that? That's a draw? Okay, well, who wins after extra time? They have a super over, don't they? You can't come on the ruck and not get off the fence. Exeter. Right. We're all going to give you stick next week if they don't win. For me, I think one of you brought this up earlier. I think the, whoever the referee is is, is absolutely massive. Uh, let's hope they got someone who can speak both languages. I hate it when people are shouting at the French teams louder because they're foreigners. I think Racing, I think it's their destiny, or it's, they think it's their destiny. I think if it's level with um, not long to go, obviously the Saracens' lack of a bench comes in a little bit, but I just think that will be very, very tight and that uh, McCall and Mark McCall will find some something different to throw. I think that would be very tight. I think possibly racing, racing by a couple of points, Exeter Chiefs at home. I just, I just fancy them, because if Exeter are out of their normal comfort zone, Stuart, I think Toulouse are too, and I think they'll find it very difficult. So I think we've got a French and an English team in the final. We go on to the Challenge Cup. I don't think Bristol Bears fans would like it very much if we didn't go to them. Alex Lowe, Bristol Bears, 60 points, was it? Or late 50s against Newport Dragons. Surely Bordeaux Begler, especially the way they played on Sunday, which was awful. Surely Bristol headed for the final. I would say so. I was there, seen Bristol quite a lot since the restart, actually. And I was at Ashton Gate on Friday night. And the Dragons... The Dragons started well and they harried Bristol and, and got in their faces. And Bristol's sort of innate desire to play sometimes gets them in trouble because they end up, yeah. when under pressure, they end up forcing a pass or, or trying to run it from the, their own 22, as Charles Piertel did. And he swarmed by six defenders and concedes the turnover. But the flip side of that is that when, when, they, when the time is right and when they make that, when that offload sticks, they're devastating. They scored three tries in six minutes in the first half, two of them out of this world. Um, and I'd seen them beat Worcester, a team, I guess, not dissimilar to the Dragons, kind of decent. Although this, this was a quite strong Dragons team, actually. But, and they did the same to Worcester. You know, Worcester started well, put them under a bit of pressure. And as soon as Bristol found their mojo, 
they they were gone. And obviously, Semi Rodrandra is a, a, a massive component to that. And it's a nice little subplot that he's up against Bordeaux, the team from whom he whom he joined Bristol. But they got there are so many other sort of cogs in that wheel who who are slightly overshadowed now by by the big Fijian. But Harry Thacker is just you know he's he, for for a player who couldn't get into the Leicester team was in that played more as a flanker than a hooker. He was outstanding again on Friday night. Ben Earl again outstanding. I actually I actually had to check with Pat Lamb that that loan deal was secure and that that Saracens wouldn't be trying to recall him for for any semi final. He's been that good for for Bristol and and I, for Pat Lamb. The frustrations are those moments when. They force things. He says, that's when we look average. And it's true. Sometimes you look at what Rodrigo does and he's just doing the very basics uh, really well. And then out of nowhere, with no space, a, a you know, chicken wing offload and, and, and they're away. Owen oh, Shirt, can one of you explain to me what a chicken wing offload is, please? Yeah, well, I... I, um... <laughs> I, I was just going to bring up Ben Earl and his lamb shank offload, which I think... Is... <laughs> Owen, let's just come to you to, in, in a second to ask uh, you whether, whether Leicester Tigers could possibly get some sort of unlikely consolation in, this, in, in, in the, the shape of a trophy. But before we do, just like a, a word about, first of all, Newport. Um, remarkably, I, I think that was an advance for them, even if they look, because they looked like a modern team. Uh, they got players who were all six or seven players playing their first game. I actually think that the Dragons fans should be reasonably encouraged because uh, they had a shape there. They tried to play it quickly and I didn't think they were too bad. I'll just I, come in because having seen I, I would agree that you've got to remember going into that game, they played only two games in the Pro 14, then a three weeks off. And they were, you know, Nick Tompkins was playing, Jamie Roberts was in that team. You know, a lot of players coming in who are, who are new to the setup, but unquestionably improve their, their standard. And I think as they settle and as the new season begins, you know, it's, it's the probably most optimistic Dragons fans could be about their team for, well, maybe since they became the Dragons. Steady on. We don't want optimism, but less pessimism than <laughs> usual, you mean. Edinburgh, um, I just thought they were they really missed a chance to beat Bordeaux-Begler. I mean, Bordeaux-Begler were there for the taking. And for Richard Cockrell afterwards to say, oh, yes, it's another, we're still on our way. I just thought that was cloak and Poulain, But Doesn't everyone say they're on their way? The, yeah, well, on, they didn't say where they're on the way to. It's the modern thing, isn't it? You lose a game and you say, oh, we're, we're still building yeah. next season. I mean, that's yeah. just... Uh, they all do that. I mean, I, I kind of feel that this podcast is on its way, though God knows where. We're on a, we're on a journey, Slotty. We are on a it's journey. A journey. Well, I'm on my way to the shower in a minute because I've got ink all over my face. <laughs> but uh, Owen, Leicester Tigers, they must have a chance, even away at Toulon. Toulon were really pedestrian against the Scarlets. Uh, uh, un- is it an unlikely target for Steve Borthwick now? No, I think it's, it's their only target, really. You, you say that they must have a chance. I, I, I say. Toulon cannot be so so pedestrian as to let them take that chance. I mean, I just think I think Le- Leicester are, are on a journey and they're on their way and they're about three seasons away from getting there. <laughs> the winners, please. I'll I'll kick off this time because it's only fair. I fancy Bristol and Toulon to go through to the final, and I think that Bristol will win and validate uh, Pat Lamb's uh, strategy to to concentrate on that tournament, even though you don't get a place in the main European Cup through it. I'm going to say, Jonesy, 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 are you saying that it's better to, it would be better to win the Challenge Cup and, and finish fifth in the Premiership than... Um... No, what I'm, saying, what I'm saying is it validates his strategy because he, he aimed at that. I still think he was 
he was wrong not to. He just wanted the trophy, and now look, he looked like she's going to get one. But I, no, I don't think it's better. But, but I mean, it's it's up to Pat. I would have done it different, and so would you. But it is up to Pat, and he's got two possible five pointers left. That's all I'd say, Owen. In the league, he's got two possible five pointers. So, uh, Bristol v Toulon for me. Bristol to win. Stuart. Bristol to win the tournament. Bristol to uh, come to be Bordeaux. Toulon uh, again. They will be better than they were. They've got a good back row. They've got an outstanding player in Charles Olivon. And if they play their best scrum half, Baptiste Saran at scrum half instead of starting at fly half. And they play Corindal, their best fly half, at fly half instead of leaving him on the bench. They'll be a very different team and they'll be too much for Leicester. Though it's fascinating because you sometimes feel, don't you, Steve, Steve Borthwick's been able to hide away from any judgment because Leicester have just been playing ragamuffin 15s. He's going to have to field someone and, and there'll be some sort of early, the first judgment on, on Borthwick's job will be made in Toulon. Oh, I like that. Well, that's good. That's a good line. It's a good line. Yeah. At least you got off the fence for a change. Um, <laughs> Stuart. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to launch a campaign. I know we haven't discussed this, but I think it's time that the Ruck became a campaigning organisation. If Saracens beat Racing, if they went on to defend their European trophy, I don't care what the rules say, Saracens must be allowed to defend the trophy. It will make the Champions Cup look ridiculous if they are playing in the Championship, which is a Premiership decision, not a European one, and they are not defending their crown. Simon Halliday, if you're listening, think again. Saracens must defend the crown if they're champions. Excellent. At last you've taken a stance on something. What do you think of that, Alex? I thought I'd ask you before anyone asked me because I hadn't thought about that. But that's uh, well, no, I, I hadn't. I'm happy to back the campaign. Oh, well, that's very big of you. Sorry, no, I'm happy to back the campaign because having not been given any time to consider it pr- beforehand. But but actually, Barnes's point, point there about um, it was the Premiership's decision to relegate them. Saracens broke no regulations in the European competition, and in the same way as the Premiership has been undermined this season by having, uh, from the fallout from that uh, situation. So next year's Champions Cup will be denuded if the if Saracens aren't there having won it. I think if they don't win it, then it's, it's pretty hard to argue for them to be in it. But um, yeah, if they win it, as the best team in Europe, Champions Cup should have, should have Saracens in it. Oh, in Team One of Athens, what's the next step for him? <laughs> I think he should be allowed back into Europe with, uh, yeah. with Saracens next season. Well, um, he's in Athens. He's already in Europe, isn't he? <laughs> you don't get many teams from Athens in the, uh, in the Champions Cup, but it's about time we have one. OK. Do you think Timon will be back next week if Saracens win? win? Timon's got a bit of a hamstring issue. OK. Um, so he, he's got a late fitness uh, test and, um, and everyone's got their fingers crossed in Athens. So, Steve, I, I saw Simon Russell Beale playing Timon of Athens at the National about three years ago, and he slipped oh. and he broke his wrist. So Did it's he? not a hamstring injury, Slotty. It's a wrist one. Were you, was that you, part of the play? You, was, he, was he giving a chicken win over uh, underpass? Or a... <laughs> he, he, he tried to do a semi-randra and it went wrong. And I must say, he, he didn't take the pain very well because he shrieked. 
and then apologized to the audience and said, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I think I've broken my wrist. But the substitute came on like a Saracen. We didn't know who he was, and he was brilliant. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Well, so they, they, had a strong, they had a strong bench then? Strong bench at the National Theatre. They yeah, always okay. say the National Theatre is a 23-man game. <laughs> oh, okay. okay, well, we all have a Shakespeare spot every week, I think. Slotty, do you back the campaign? I was asking the question, not giving the answer. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I think, um, I think they should be thrown out for uh, but maybe a decade or something. I think maybe we need a ruck special to debate that, that very subject. Okay, I'll give you a serious answer. I, I, I think we should talk about it for a long time because it is, it, it, it is a decent question. You're right, they didn't break the uh, European rules, but they would arguably might not have qualified if, they'd kept, um, if they hadn't broken the Premiership rules. So it's two ways of looking at it. But uh, I think one thing is definitely clear. The Champions Cup would be a lot more interesting next season if they were allowed to be in it, if they were the, were the title winners. Thank you. We now move on to our God or Goddess of the Week. Uh, we'll start with you, Arthur. Who's the man or woman above all everyone else on earth? Gosh, well, I, I think I want to give mention to Manny Eogan, the 19-year-old loosehead prop from Northampton, who was only playing his second men's match for, uh, at the weekend after Saints had that um, injury crisis. And, and did, did really well against two kind of gnarled, uh, international tight heads in, in um, I can't remember what they're called now. What Thomas Francis. Thomas Francis and Harry... Uh, Williams. <laughs> yeah, for an old prop, you're terrible <laughs> on props. Well, Jeez. <laughs> okay, the, he, he did really well against two old Noel props in uh, Thomas Francis and, Alex, and here's Harry a, here's Williams. Alex, here's a question for you. <laughs> name this uh, the great Saracen's second row. First name, Marrow. Oh, Marrow, Marrow, Marrow. <laughs> Marutoji. So there you go, Marutoji. Marutoji is the obvious call for God of the Week because he was, again, sensational. But I did want to just give mention to to Manny Eogan because I thought uh, as a a kid who's only just started playing loosehead prop, he he, he did himself proud. Right, okay. Well, he was only up against two unknowns, according to you, but there we go. Uh, Stuart. (laughs) This morning when I woke up, I was thinking I'm going to give it to Cheslin Colby, the untouchable. What a player he is, but I'm not. I think you've got to go deeper down into the soul. And great as Maro Atoje was, Vincent Cop to go 80 minutes alongside Jamie George, smashing them in the scrumster in the scrum. Brilliant in the turnover. If you watch the match, Steve, he was on his toes in the 80th minute. Props, are not, uh, props have to quit at 55. The game is too hard. Nobody told Vincent Cock. He is my god of the week. Owen? Um, this, I just want to point out the reason that Lawrence isn't here today is because he decided to pick Michael Rhodes as his man of the match from that uh, game in Dublin, even though Rhodes should have at least had a yellow card and, um, uh, and was playing alongside Maro Atoje, who was clearly the best player in any game at the weekend. So uh, Alex has already said it, and, and I'm with um, I'm on the uh, Maro Atoje bandwagon. Um, so he is my, uh, my hero of the weekend. That's a good one. I'm going to go slightly off off message here because mine mine is a man who I've always admired. He's won multiple awards. His dedication to journalism is such that he goes to dangerous paces, such as Dublin. He's investigating the possibility of going to Paris this week, possibly even with the two-week sentence 
of uh, lockdown when he comes back. He may know bugger all about Saracens, but he knows a lot about Timon of Athens. And for those random literary allusions and his dedication to the, rock, the, the, the long and insufferable and testing rugby road, my God of the week is Owen Slot, my dear friend and colleague. Fantastic. I feel really quite um, emotional about that because I've only ever been nominated once as Hero of the Week on this podcast, and that's when I nominated myself. It was. So thanks for that, Jonesy. I feel I'm overwhelmed. We've been a bit outvoted by um, by uh, two to three to one, but it's it's Maro with Toji. Blimey, what what a player! Thank you for listening, everybody out there. Thanks for listening to The Ruck. Please share it with your friends. Thank you to our wonderful panel, Stuart Barnes, Owen Slot, Alex Lowe. Guys, thanks a million. As challenging as ever. And thank you to our ex-prop producer, Mike Boville. And we'll be back next week. Thank you very much. listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone 